we're figuring out. This is our first. This is my first day. You know, I've never podcasted before. What is what is a podcast? What what it's is like? What is Mailkimp? <laughs> it's it's it's. Have you heard of Feedburner? It's like Feedburner. Welcome, listeners, to Fatal Error episode three. I'm Chris Zomback. I'm Sarush Kanlo. And uh, I just had to think for a second to remember what the podcast was called. It's, this is where I am. It's, it's been a long day. Uh, we got a little bit of feedback on the on the last episode about view models. And um, when Sarush and I went out for drinks after recording that episode, uh, he had some other questions that he'd forgotten to ask during the recording. So we figured, why not do another episode about view models? Like a prudent podcaster, I did not ask the questions at the time, and I held them in me. I held them in for two weeks, and now I'm ready to release them. Excellent. Well, do you, do you want to kick us off here? Uh, so before we before we touch on some of those questions, uh, I want to address the one of the biggest pieces of, of feedback we got about the uh, that episode of the podcast was a lot of people were dismayed, I think is a good word. Uh, that view model has come to mean this thing that's live and active that you bind to that maybe acts as a facade, maybe acts as your application data, like the thing that is like alive and holds your application code okay. instead of being the inert dead thing. And I don't know, I, I feel like the reactive side of our community has taken this term and made it their own. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that that's sort of what's happened. And the battle for inert view models is sort of lost already. And I was kind of wondering if you had any thoughts on the value of inert view models versus the value of like live view models. Okay, so this is kind of getting back to a question that you asked a little bit in uh, in episode two about having a sort of static bag of data that you hand to a view in order for a view to present, right? Right, right. So if it was Swift, it would be a struct. It would not have computed properties. It would just be a set of properties on a thing, just holds data, no behavior, no functions, no computer properties, just data. Okay, so... Oh, man, let's see what comes to mind here. We're talking about a few different, a few different responsibilities here, and it doesn't matter to me that much what you want to call each part uh we have a view layer and we all know pretty intuitively what that view layer does although i'll make the argument like i did in the previous episode that the view controller is more or less part of that view layer uh its responsibilities controlling views we have the responsibility of um basically being the data that gets presented in a view right and this right. is what you're alluding to as what what you might want to call a view model uh and we have the the responsibility which is a little bit less well defined but the responsibility of taking input from that view and producing data that needs to be uh and producing that bag of data that's going to be assigned to that view right 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 whether that comes from the network or the database or from some user action. Right, right. Like a form. And again, that probably involves collaborating with at least one other object within the application that right. is uh, that is at some level shared between different parts of the application, right? Right. So I guess the argument is uh, if you're – we definitely don't want to put in a view controller. And you should put it somewhere and you might as well call that a view model. That is that. That's an argument. Yeah, I mean, so certainly we agree that these three responsibilities are 
separate and probably shouldn't all be uh, jammed into the view controller, right? Right, yeah. I don't think there's anybody who's going to disagree with that. So then it becomes a question of what these other responsibilities get named and whether they are somehow combined together into one object. So then it becomes a question of how we split up the other two responsibilities, uh, the sort of inert data and the sort of uh, live coordination responsibilities, and what we call those responsibilities. Now, Remember in in my version of uh, what a view model is or what a view model might look like that I presented in the last episode, how the in the view controller, there there's the definition of a protocol of what the view controller needs from a view model in order to update the view and display data on screen, right? Right. You could look at that, that protocol, as being effectively just the specification of that inert data, right? I mean, all it specifies is that I need these certain uh, strings or other values to put data on screen. And then the other thing that that protocol might define is I need to be able to propagate these events up to someone in the application who will deal with them. Uh, You could imagine... I don't know. I don't actually like that very much. Um, If it were just a... Uh, if it's so if it's just a protocol that provides strings or observables of strings, um, first of all, those are I think two very, very different things. And second of all, okay, so imagine you have your full model, right? You have an entity, that entity knows how to write itself to the network, let's say, or write itself to the disk, it's an NS managed object subclass, and you put a protocol on it, just because there's a protocol on it doesn't mean you're immediately comfortable passing it directly to a UI view subclass. Right, like I, I would. I'm well, having right. a tough. You're, yeah, I mean, right. You you will have something that something in between needs to produce that needs to produce that data, right? Right, and so I'm saying, like, so there are live objects that even if you wrap them in a protocol, for some reason it still feels pretty gross to to pass that directly to a view. But the inert data, we feel more comfortable saying, like, yeah, the view can just have it because it's just inert. It's just data. It's not doing anything. So I feel like there is a real difference there between view data and or view data being the inert thing and view models being the live uh, coordination facade so complex reactive thing. There, there definitely is a difference, um, but maybe let's let's take reactive out of out of the picture for a moment and consider maybe that there's. Uh, just a protocol that specifies that that we need these certain strings and certain values. Does it does it really matter so much at the view controller at, at the view level whether you provide an object backing that protocol that is that's a reference type with some other responsibilities or whether it's a struct that conforms to that protocol? Right. So it shouldn't. But for some reason, it, like, so again, if you're talking about view controllers, like, yeah, I'm fine with a view controller having access to, like, this kind of data, especially if it's wrapped in a protocol. But if you're talking about a view, and I can't really explain why I feel that that's different than, like, a plain bag of data struct, uh, I can't explain why I think that's different, but I do think it's different. I wouldn't feel comfortable passing an entity or a view model directly into a view subclass, even if it were wrapped in a protocol and the view subclass didn't know what was going into it. Okay, so there are one or two th- one or two differences here that, that I want to probe you on a little bit further. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first, you, um, you're you drawing a distinction between view controllers here and a UI view subclass, yes. uh, which maybe is a useful distinction to draw here, right? I'm When I say 
uh, when I talk about a view controller or a view layer defining a, a protocol that determines what data is needed to drive that view, right. I'm, I'm really thinking more at the view controller level. Uh, and I'm thinking that the view controller is what is the object that is unpacking uh, whatever data is being handed to it, whether it's in a struct uh, through a protocol interface or just a struct whose type we're using directly or whether it's taking values from some observables and assigning it uh, and assigning those values, uh, those inert values, it into its view hierarchy, right? Uh, right. I'm. I, I also will agree that like a, a UI view probably doesn't need to know or probably shouldn't know about observables or or deal with other live objects. Right. But I think the thing that um, the people who champion like sort of the other form of view model, view data, I think is, is a probably better way to call it, especially for the scope of the show. Um, they want to take a struct and they want to pass it directly to a view subclass. So the distinction here is between those two things, So if that makes sense. All right. I mean, that makes sense. So we're, we're talking then about two... Uh, first, we're talking about two different patterns here at this very, point. Very, very different patterns. And although, it's just unfortunate that they have the same name. Well, they have the same name, although I, uh, they're not, they're not necessarily incompatible, right? You could imagine a, a live, a live view data producer of some sort that hands a new instance of a view data struct to a view controller who then unpacks that and hands view data, some, you know, some embedded view data structures down into its view subclasses, right? Right, totally. And the other, my other thought is that that, which I just touched on, is that that view data structure still needs to come from somewhere. Something has to produce that. Uh, And that still shouldn't be the view controller. And, I mean, call call it what you want. I'm going to keep calling that a view model. Yeah, I think think that the tension here is almost entirely sort of naming-wise. There's no tension of, like, like, I don't think either party thinks the other party's bad and some people maybe do both but like the tension is that like we have overloaded this term sure uh i think that's definitely true um and yeah the more i think about it the more that these the way you've described it at least these ideas aren't really incompatible um if you want to if you want to define a very specific structure type that a ui view takes uh it still has to be produced somewhere, which probably shouldn't be a view controller. Right. Maybe the view controller collaborates with some other live object to get a view data structure and assign it to its views. Yeah. So you're actually, I think it sounds like you're even going a step further. You're saying view data is fine, but don't do just view data. Make sure that it comes from some kind of view model, whether or not you choose to actually call that live thing that produces the view data a view model. Uh, But you're saying like, don't do view data if you're just going to create the view data within the view controller. Am I understanding you right? Uh, more or less, yeah. M- moreover, I mean, do that if you want, but be aware that you're, I mean, no matter what you do, if your view controller is responsible for collaborating with other objects to produce values to assign to views. Right. I don't care what pattern you're using to assign those values to those views. Your view controller still is doing too many things, right? Right, right. I can, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that for sure. That so I think sense. we're, I, I totally agree and acknowledge that there's tension here, but I think it's mostly 
uh, a, a tension in naming because I don't think yeah. these ideas are very incompatible. Yeah, I think that's that seems right to me. The people that I was talking to about the view data thing still want to call it a view model. And one of the things I said was I was sort of like, yeah, I think this, this you know, the battle's kind of already been lost. And they sort of reluctantly agreed. So I think there's sort of not much else to be said about yeah. that, basically. Yeah. I have a, so I have one other, um, one big question, which I think we, we touched on in the coordinator episode. So I have a... I think I have one question here, and then I have two kind of heretical ideas, which I would love to run past you. Um, I, this sounds great. I love it. This question may also result in a heretical idea, so that's three heretical ideas, which may be too many for a podcast episode, but we're going to do it anyway. So we touched on this question of, uh, in the coordinator episode, we talked about coordinators not only handling flow, but also handling model mutation, which I defined as you might be hitting an API, you might be writing something to the disk, to the keychain. Uh, something where the user's action is like somehow persistently or semi-persistently stored. Um, so you, you talked about this. I'm not totally I, on board with this. I talked about this. And the reason being, I, I think I gave a couple of cases of when that's useful. For example, if you want to change the flow of, let's say, some kind of, uh, some kind of posting screen that lets you um, get into the posting screen before you've logged in, you tap post, and at that point you have to log in, kind of pushing that login flow down the down the funnel a little bit sure uh, and when you do that change in the flow in order to not have to change both the view controller which originally was handling the quote-unquote model mutation which is like posting this message but also um so you would have to change two components you have to change the coordinator to add this extra piece of flow and you would also have to change the view controller to handle the fact that while sometimes you're going to be uh, going through this alternate flow to log in, and sometimes you're just going to be directly posting to the API or, or wherever you're posting it to. That's like one tension. Uh, that's like one example of a tension of you don't have to change both of those objects for that case. So having the view controller be really dumb, and I think this is sort of, I, I don't really disagree when you say that the view controller is part of the view layer. And because of that, I don't want it to be able to mess with data. Um, I'm fine with it reading data to some extent. Like if it's just a get request, I'm more or less okay with that. But um, when it starts writing data, then I feel like you become more hamstrung with the ways that you can use that specific view controller. So having the delegate methods on the view controller be things like did tap button or you know did perform whatever user action, I think gives you the flexibility to when a change comes down the pipeline from your product team or your designers or whatever, you can make that in a clean way if you bring both of these responsibilities up into your coordinator rather than leaving one in the view controller slash, you know, for the context of this episode, the view model, uh, and one of the responsibilities in the coordinator. So how do you solve that problem in your view model world, given that you don't want to put the mutating code up in the coordinator? So let me ask a clarifying question here. So I think I understand what you're describing and what you're asking. In the case that you're describing, is the coordinator... I mean, you, do you mean that the coordinator is collaborating with some other object in order to determine the user's login state and, and mutate it? Or, I mean, is the coordinator doing that more directly? So in, in the way that I would do it, when you tap the button in the view controller, sort of you get like a target action, which comes to your view controller layer. Your view controller fires a delegate method which then bubbles up to the coordinator, and then that is where the view controller's responsibility stops. 
The view controller does not know if another view controller will be pushed on navigation-wise, if it will be presented modally, or if some API action is going to happen. It doesn't know and doesn't, and it really can't know what's going to happen after that. Uh, ideally, yes, it will be in some kind of collaborator of the coordinator, um, but it won't, like, I don't think the coordinator should be, like, touching an SURL session directly. I think that because the, the concepts of model mutation and flow are so intertwined in these weird cases, you have to move this stuff up. And I'm wondering, if you were designing this exact same screen, how would you, because it sounds like in your world, the view model would have a method on it that's like post with data or whatever. And that is hidden from the view controller by way of encapsulation. But then if that flow needs to change, how does the view controller know whether it should talk to the coordinator or whether it should talk to its view model? Okay, let's see here. So... With the caveat that I'm designing this totally, after thinking about this for tens of seconds. <laughs> I, this I might think... as well be a, a tech interview, or tech <laughs> job interview question. I this could be. whiteboard ready. This would be good. Uh, well, would it? Well, let's set that aside. So what I, w- <laughs> what I would do here is, so clearly the view controller calls up to the view model, says, hey, the user tapped the post button, uh, and this is the you know this is the content of this field or something right 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 right. the view model at this point i'm gonna say probably delegates out to some other to some other object right because in order to fulfill this requirement there's the 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 login is uh like deferred and can be injected into like into this later point in the sort of flow of the application uh it it feels like there's maybe some other object that almost handles in queuing this state, if that makes sense. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's the your sort of user like user login coordinator uh, that authenticates one of these requests right. before it goes out, and then that that maybe has some way to uh, to flag to the application's flow coordinator that a login is needed. So so. I'd have to think a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes, but the high-level answer is this switching logic doesn't go in the view model or the view controller. The the view model knows to delegate out to uh, another object that handles this switching logic, maybe. Right. That kind of feels like kicking the problem down the road, though. It is, and if you... So eventually you get to a point where something is going to be owned by the view model and knows about the coordinator whether it's through a block or through a weak delegate or whatever yeah and so why don't you just do that right at the source and just so, say, look yeah. all yeah. all my view controller does is ties um well it, this this still isn't the the view controller right well so so what is is all the view controller does is it binds the model data to the view in this case view model data to the view and then also whenever any action comes in or an S notification or any of that stuff, it just bubbles that up to the coordinator and the coordinator is in the position to make all of the decisions that it wants. Yeah. Th- this kind of yeah. makes sense. So, okay. My, my answer 2.0, what I would do, uh, the view model takes this, uh, takes this input, delegates out to your API client says, Hey, post this data. If the API client comes back with, uh, comes back with an error, um, uh-huh. That says login, uh, you know that, that hey the user so, needs to log in. Yeah, there's so there's probably right? yes there's probably a way to make this more. 
there's probably a way to mix this logic into your view models in a reusable way. Uh, maybe extract this little bit, that little bit of logic out to some object that deals with API responses, right? right. But then your view model can take this and say, oh, hey, coordinator, um, go perform a login flow and call me back when, like, when this is done. Yeah, so that's... I like that better. That's definitely better. Um, but I feel like you still have two delegates now. You have one delegate of the view controller that the coordinator conforms to, but then you also have another delegate of the view model that the coordinator also has to conform to. Why so, make this difficult for yourself? Well, so in I, I don't I don't see the view controllers having any reference or knowledge of the coordinator whatsoever. Well, it's a delegate, right? Like, I guess. Do you all not use delegates to to bubble the messages of the 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 like communication between the like view controller and coordinator is entirely it is entirely through the view model in response to the you know user inputs or or other oh. inputs because again oh. the view model is where all the all the logic that drives this view belongs. So if you had a table view, let's say an article list, and somebody tapped on an article you wouldn't pass that directly to the coordinator. You would pass that to the view model, which would then know to bubble that message up to the coordinator. Right, right. Oh. Okay, so, then yeah, that's basically the same thing as I'm saying. Okay. Uh, kind of, kind of. But uh, yeah, <laughs> having the one delegate, yeah, I, I'm perfectly satisfied with that solution. So in this case, and you can probably think of a way, like it's probably it, it probably would be messy to have this sort of check for an error and bubble up to a coordinator with a callback in every view model. So there's probably some object that like a view model can instantiate to right. to handle that little bit of logic or flow or right, something right. that a, 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 a well, you'd have to consider the pros and cons, but a um, not a mix in what's it called a protocol extension in Swift right. that a view model can can use to bring that logic in. That makes sense. That makes sense. I didn't realize that your even your flow methods go through the view model. Yeah, I mean, this keeps your I, again. This keeps your view controllers uh, very very isolated. Right. This keeps. This means that even that that flow. Um, you know, I probably in most common cases it, that sort of flow logic that the view model handles is trivial, and is your tests for it are going to be trivial, but maybe there are some, uh, there are some other cases like this one where you do want to test that your flow coordinator or excuse me, your view model tries to kick off the correct, um, the correct actions in collaboration with the flow coordinator. So right. this lets you, uh, test that interaction as well. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. I, I can almost see you, uh, interesting, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Because I was actually sort of trying to push you in a slightly different direction, uh, which was that I'm more comfortable with my view model or with my view controllers reading and not writing. And so, if you were able to split your view model into one read-only component and one more or less write-only component, reading you know what it needs to do to do the writing, and then having passing the read-only component down into the view controller and then keeping the read-write component up in the coordinator, then you could get all the effects that you want. But the way that you have, you like push that message down and then back up through the coordinator, like bypassing the view controller is super interesting. Um, where I was going with it is a read-only view, uh, a read-only view model sounds a lot like a presenter and a write-only view model sounds a lot like an interactor. And all of a sudden 
you're in a you're in a whole new place. You're in a whole whole, whole different ball game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, you're right. It does sound that way. Uh, a read only view model also does sound offhand to me, like the uh, like a view data structure that that you were discussing earlier. Well, it, I would actually say it's different than that because I would have a I would have a read only view model slash a presenter actually like uh, construct that data in real time with computer properties rather than computing all that stuff up front. That's kind of a, it doesn't matter really where you do it, but that's probably how I would do it, um, is just defer that execution until you need it, so you always are sure that you have fresh data. And I I don't know if you would agree with this, but uh, I feel like I'm turning your own guns against you, but having a view model whose only responsibility is to prepare data for presentation seems like a better single responsibility object than one that does both that and all the model mutation and other stuff that you might have to do. Oh yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get me to to disagree with that at all. Um, I we talked in the previous episode about the possibility of uh, of decomposing view models into like smaller view models that seem right. almost more like almost more like presenters than full fledged live view models, uh, yeah. which again we can do because this terminology is incredibly imprecise, <laughs> yeah. and that seems a little bit like what you're describing. And then those could be uh, reused very heavily throughout a code base and composed into uh, larger, more complex view models. Okay, cool. I, I, did not, I did not expect your solution with the view model having the handle on the coordinator. I didn't realize that's how y'all were doing it. And that actually makes so much sense. So that's super interesting. Um, I have now here with me two heretical ideas. Uh, right. I like to let them out of the bag, and I want to like want to know what you hear about them. And I, the caveat is that I know that they're kind of whack, but also like, are they are they whack? So the first one <laughs> is that so traditional MVC, MVC was like invented for small talk, right? And the idea was that you had a view which was represent uh, which was responsible for putting data on the screen. You had a controller which was responsible for corralling user input. And then you had a model which was responsible for uh, all the data basically involved in this. And the thing that's different about the classic model view controller versus what we do now is that the model and the view talk to each other directly, the controller and the view talk to each other directly, and the controller and the model talk to each other directly. Um, what we have now is more of a model view adapter, model view mediator, uh, however you want to kind of break that down, but we don't let our models talk to our views. And that is really, really very different than... Mm-hmm. than the thing was uh, the thing was originally intended. But our conversation last week got me kind of thinking that, like, we call our entities models, like we call them model objects, but really, like, I think entity is a more precise term and expresses sure. what we mean, right? Which frees up this idea of model. And the thing that I kind of like is instead of calling it view model, we could just call it a model. So you'd have a sign-up model that has any validation functions on it or any you know, validation collaborators, however you want to look at it. It has any actions that are associated with, uh, with, with signing up and all that stuff. And that is the model to a view controller. In the same way that a uh, view controller has one view, it would have one model. And that model and the, and the model and the view would be bound together via this controller. And I feel like if we release the term model from our model objects like tweet or whatever, we can get to a place where I think like model is really what we're talking about. It is a model for the controller to consume and apply to the view. 
Sure. I mean, so this this doesn't sound that that crazy to me. I'm I'm looking at the actually the Wikipedia page for Model View Controller right now. They have a nice little uh, flowchart here. Uh, we'll include a link to this in the show notes. Uh, but this says the model directly manages the data, logic, and rules yeah. of the application. This sounds kind of like what what I'm describing here. Uh, you're starting to shift the um, shift some of these responsibilities for your again your application domain logic from a view controller uh, up into um, uh, up into this other object, which I've been calling a view model, uh, which. I mean, is is a model that manages the data, logic, and rules of the application needed to power such and such a view. Uh, an important, an important observation here, I think, is that is that the view model that that I've described is really only a part of um, of the whole model for the application, right? Managing the data, logic, and rules for an application, like in in an iOS application, there's there's a lot there, you know, you have, uh, caching, networking, uh, you know, those responsibilities just to name a few, but your, your view model is sort of your, your window into that world for the, um, for the view and controller. Yeah, I agree with that. I also don't think that's necessarily incompatible because this talks about a view as well. And it doesn't require that the view is every single view in the app. It can be, I think, a slice of the model and the rules and the behaviors of our application in the same way that the view is a slice of what the user sees. Yeah. Absolutely. So heretical idea, the first is that what I'm what I'm calling a view model so far is more of just a window into what you would call a model in MVC. Yeah, uh, I think so. And like, and, we, we call it a model layer. But like, what if you really just had like, an object called model, and then that way, you would have to call your other stuff entities, or really, we don't even usually append the word model to like the names of our models. So maybe it's not really a problem. No, I don't think so. So heretical idea number one, not that heretical? Is that the verdict? Uh, I'm going to rate that not that heretical. We're going to get a lot of tweets, Chris. A lot of tweets. So that was heretical idea number one. Heretical idea number two is that a view model on some level represents uh, data. It represents a consistent view on data. It represents, I would say, like more of a tree-like structure of data rather than a graph-like structure of data. Would you say that that's sort of fair? I don't quite understand exactly what you mean by that so by tree i mean there are no cycles in this graph and there are like no child can point to any parent so how are you applying that to a view model specifically so in a, in a traditional application right if you have like your model layer your um let's say it's a relational database right a core data or an active record uh you could easily have a cycle in that like you could have one user that has many projects, and that project has collaborators, one of which is a user that owns another project that has a collaborator of the original user, for example. Okay, yeah. So you could just walk this graph infinitely, right? Uh-huh. Whereas a view model, in this, like a view is a tree, right? It's, it's a single top root view, root view, and that has many mm-hmm. child views and child views and so on down the road. But none of the child views ever relate back to the top view. Right. Right. And in the same way, I think a view model is designed to be a really structured form of data, and there shouldn't really be any cycles in a view model. Especially, like, if you think about it, like, the view data way where it's all a struct, the struct that represents a collaborator representing Chris Dezombach would be a separate struct than the struct that represents Chris Dezombach, the project leader. Right? Okay. So there's that. And there's another thing I would add, which is, like, a lot of times it's responsible for... um, making calls out to the network and and handling that stuff for like when a thing happens or when a thing changes. 
the second heretical idea that I have is that if you if you squint and you got to squint, that kind of looks a lot like JSON. JSON is a tree, and every like if you if you have, if you got a JSON response, um, assuming that was like the total totality of the response. Uh, that can never have any cycles in it because JSON has to be defined as a tree. And mm-hmm. I've seen certain JSON RESTE implementations that define what methods you can call on that particular RESTful model um, through, like, I don't know how you pronounce it, HateOS, HateOS. I've got nothing. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I barely know how to spell it. It's hypermedia as the engine of application state which is, a, is like REST++. Plus plus. It's REST plus this ability to tell you like what actions you can take on any given model. And this one I feel like is a little bit more of a tenuous, a little bit more of a reach. Um, but basically, like when you get JSON back, you could model that as a struct and not have any problems. Whereas if you were in a Rails application or like a really, really rich core data application, you could never model those core data objects as structs because of these cycles. Uh, but JSON is guaranteed to never have any cycles in it, so it's really easy to model that as a struct. And the server can do any processing of, like, if it needs to append first name and last name together to make the full name for display, like, the server can just do that for you. And so in iOS, our quote-unquote model, our entity objects, as we as we dubbed them earlier, they're really just really thin wrappers around JSON. They could easily be structs. Um, all they need to know is how to turn from a JSON blob, how to take in a JSON blob and become a fully fledged, fully qualified, like representation of that thing. Maybe a little bit of validation, and uh, the, the craziest case, like they'll need to know how to like call out to the to the web server to do some stuff. Which, if your web server returned really structured responses, could just be baked into the JSON itself and baked into sort of a generic. Um, way of saying, well, I know I have like this type of action I can run on this, just run this action and be done with it. So what do you think about the idea that our models are already basically view models? The, okay, I, I'm <laughs> processing this. Do you mean our models as in our, our entities in the definition yeah. that we came up with? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You still need to, so hmm, you still need to get those models, those entities from somewhere, Right. Yeah. So you need something in between, like, regardless of whether you want to treat one of these, uh, one of these models, I'm going to keep calling them models instead of entities. Right. So you could, you could certainly call one of these models, uh, as something closer to a, a view data structure, maybe, right. um, maybe aligning the models that you're storing, uh, more closely with the like format of certain screens in your app is, is not a bad thing. Right. 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 But there's still some, like, there's still coordination to be done in fetching those models from a web service or from a cache in mutating and updating those models if necessary. Like, there, there's other coordination to be done here, and that has to happen somewhere. I would put that in what I'm calling a view model, which is this active, not inert thing that sits between a, a view controller and the rest of the application with the goal of powering that view controller. And I don't see an inert entity doing anything similar to that. So I guess I'm a little bit confused here. Yeah, I guess. um, So there's one thing that I feel like I should also add, which is that like, generally, we don't, we don't have that much logic in our apps. Like if you look at a really crazy 
backend app, like a Rails app or a Node app, it's doing a lot more stuff, not only in the department of validation, but also in the department of like, it's billing the user and it's, um, you know, talking to different services, handling emails. It's got logic for like, uh, if you have this many items in your cart, do this thing and this other thing. Where our clients rarely have that, especially on most of the apps I've worked on, they're really just like a pretty way to look at JSON. Um, that is uh, sure. something that, that Orta of Artsy said to me once, and I was like, yeah, that's really true. It really is just a pretty way of looking at JSON. And it's somewhat depressing, but true. It uh, is. Don't, yeah. don't tell the non app developer <laughs> yeah yeah and so like that concept that we don't really have that much real logic in our app like maybe there's a little bit of validation around some of your forms just to be a little quicker for the user but that validation sometimes comes from the api too but i guess what i'm kind of saying is like you could maybe you could extract all of the weird common components of let's say the ability to perform actions on a specific model you could extract that out into a thing into a very generic thing the ability to parse the model that's kind of already there um the ability to uh combine and compose components of the model like that could just be part of the server thing validation could be part of the server and you could end up with a really really lean ios app that. Really, I mean, it's model layer. I mean, how much does the model layer really need to do? Does that help you understand more where I'm coming from? I know this is like... I, I think so, yeah. It's like I'm doing I a mean, really bad job expressing it, but like ultimately, what is it that our model layer needs to do? It needs to parse JSON. It needs to prepare some stuff for display. Maybe put some, apply some colors to some stuff and put it on the screen. Or and then be put sure. on the screen, let's say. So as you get more complex, though, you have caching requirements to take into account. You may have offline support re requirements. Right. You may be dealing with a number of of different APIs across, like, the, the life cycle of, um, or across the user doing one thing in your application. So, I mean, I, I agree, but I'm not really sure how, like, so I agree with you a little bit in principle, but... I see an app still as having a number of other responsibilities, even if it is a pretty dumb interface to a REST web service. And that coordination has to happen has to happen somewhere. Uh, you could push a lot of it out of a view model into a more generic uh, content store if that is something that truly does apply to the majority of the app. Right. But you still need um, you you still need some sort of some sort of coordination to get data from that content store into your view layer. Yeah, I was, yeah. I think caching is also something that if you really, really made your models really strictly defined, you could also abstract and genericize that away. Ultimately, I think it's kind of a half-baked idea. I, th I think it's ultimately pretty half-baked. But I don't know, it's just been bothering me for a long time, I guess. Like, people say, I've, I've heard from uh, many people that they don't like to put the JSON parsing logic into their model, like their entity objects. And it's like, why not? What else do they do? Like, if you really want a single responsibility object, this object's responsibility is to parse JSON, and that's it. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I have anything to add here. Those are the biggest questions and things I wanted to talk about with regard to view models. Okay, cool. 
Yeah. I had I had just one thing I wanted to add uh, as follow up to something that I didn't know the answer uh, for offhand in the last episode. Oh, nice. You had asked a question of um, what would be a more reactive style way of of binding uh, user interface actions to up into the to the view model, right? Right, right. Uh, so I did a little bit of digging before this episode, uh, and I remembered that that reactive Cocoa had a pattern for this. Uh, I believe it was called commands in reactive Cocoa one and two. Uh, now there's a, reactive Cocoa has an action type, uh, which sort of. Um, which represents a way to trigger side effecty work and get some result back. Uh, and the Reactive Cocoa framework also provides ways to bind an action uh, to various UI kit um, UI elements. Nice. So the, your view model may expose uh, several, what may expose one or more actions as part of its interface, which when you assign it a view model to a view controller, the view controller can then bind those actions to its uh, UI elements in the same way that the view controller is binding uh, observable outputs from the view model to its UI elements. Right. That makes sense. And I'll add a little, I'll, I'll add some links to the uh, reactive Cocoa documentation here uh, and to this type itself in the show notes for, for those interested. That makes a lot of sense. So basically when the observable updates on the view model, you can directly bind that to, let's say, UI label.txt or whatever. And mm-hmm. when the when a button is tapped in the UI, you can also directly bind that to some kind of like thing that accepts inputs on the view model, which would be right. the same as like defining a target action and then calling a method on the view model. Right. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. It's yeah, it seems like something like that should exist, and I'm glad to know that. Like, as uh, it turns out, it does. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Okay, cool. Very interesting. Well, I think we're running a little long on this episode. Um, I think that's right. Unless you had anything uh, anything else you want to add? Nope, that's everything for me. Cool. As always, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been episode three of Fatal Error. I'm Sarush Gondler. I'm Chris Dezonbeck. Uh You can find us at fatalerror.fm or at fatalerrorfm on Twitter. And uh, please send us feedback, and we will talk to you in two weeks.